Well, hello and welcome to another session of Linking the Travel Industry, where we go through recent news events that relate to our industry and uh, we discuss them. We also invite you to take part in those discussions and raise your hand if there's a specific topic we discuss that you'd like to take part in. Before we start today, we just want to take a moment to recognize the significance of today. You know, whether you are a royalist or not, it's hard not to be inspired by Queen Elizabeth's unfaltering commitment to duty and to be so dedicated and consistent over such a long period absolutely demands respect. She's clearly done for myself and many others in this room I know. So we here at Linking the Travel Industry would just like to say farewell and thank you to Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. May she rest in peace. My name is Rian and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel agents gain insight, control and growth with their booking data. And I'm joined, as usual again, by Anne and Ash. Welcome, guys. I'm Anne Cedarhall. I'm an independent consultant in the travel industry, working with LeapShift and ExploreTech. Over to Ash. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Ash, and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel under Business Travel 360. I'm also the vice president of sales at Traxo. And so we had another busy week last week. It was week 37. And uh, I started my post last week with a story that I saw on quite a few other posts as well about Rolls-Royce, the, the maker of uh, aircraft engines, who terminated their working arrangement with Boom Supersonic. And it raised quite a lot of questions about the future of this uh, project. Whilst, you know, a lot of posts were just mentioning that, I thought the post by Paul Pereira asked some really, really good questions about this project. Ash, do you mind if I start over with you on your side? Because this is a project that you're very interested in, right? And um, how? what are your thoughts on this news? Well, like I always say, Rian, there's always a story behind the story. I think a lot of people are looking at this whole thing with Boom Supersonic as a dismal situation with them because of Rolls-Royce backing out. Maybe there's no hope and this aircraft won't launch. I feel totally different about this topic. And I think that there is definitely going to be a Boom Supersonic type aircraft in the air. And whether it's Rolls-Royce or somebody else providing the engines, it doesn't really matter. I also think that there is a relationship between Rolls-Royce and Boeing, which is definitely in competition with Boom. I think that there is a relationship there where Rolls-Royce and Boeing might have been trying to help each other out. Boeing stock, of course, as you know, uh, this year has been down. And so you will see that this relationship will play out in, in different ways. So I think there's a little bit of a conspiracy going on of some sort. But anyway, I think Rolls-Royce has a right to do what they want to do. I think Boom Supersonic will come through regardless. And before you comment, it's always nice to hear this side of the of the coin that, that Ash always brings to us, isn't it? So um, I have to say there is something to that, Ash, because I also see that not only is um, Boeing's share price down, but so is uh, Rolls-Royce. I believe they are rock bottom at the moment. So yeah, you might be onto something there. And what do you think? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with, with Ash. You know, I'm really for supersonic. I also believe that they're going to be a driver in sustainable air fuel. It could be very much, you know, so that there is a story behind the story and Ash very often nails it. So those are my thoughts. Well, en en engines or not, I suspect Ash will be right up there pedaling if it has to, to get that thing flying. So um... <laughs> we'll do it the Wright brothers way, there the old fashioned go. way. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> The next three stories I posted was all about, and it was not United for change, right? It was all about Lufthansa. First story was about Lufthansa wanting 20,000 more employees by the end of next year. And uh, this was posted by Rudy Horn. And what do you make of that? So do you think that's a sustainable approach or is it reflecting wow. the potential there? I would 
would assume that there's quite quite a few people who are very much of the same age group at Lufthansa. That's my impression. Who will retire? That's probably very much the case. 20,000. Wow, what a number. It's quite um, staggering, right? Probably going to consolidate and grow even more. I definitely think that there is a little bit of hanky-panky that's been going on on the part of the airlines, right? The airlines during the pandemic got a lot of relief funds from their governments. Uh, Here in the U.S., interestingly enough, there are two leading House Democrats who are looking into a federal investigation of whether the airlines used any of the $54 billion that they were given here to get employees to quit. But one can say for sure that the airlines did use the pandemic to decrease their payroll, maybe a little bit more aggressively than they initially thought they should have. But secondly, I think they also did it with a specific target group in mind. And I'm not rolling out a conspiracy theory, but it's very business type of thing to do. And now we're seeing pilot shortages and all sorts of things because I think they got a little bit overaggressive. But it paves a way for them to bring in a whole bunch of new people into the organization, which they would have never had the opportunity to do if it wasn't for the pandemic. Very true. Very true. I see we joined again by George. George, welcome. Welcome back. And um, what are your thoughts on the story about Lufthansa? In our industry, we call it uh, wanted attrition and unwanted attrition. Most management who are not so good want to use all the opportunities to bring in people from outside. But on the other hand, uh, to be fair to the aviation business, has been a d- difficult business for 50, 60 years, except for you know patches of 5, 10 years in between. You know, 9-11, we all know, then we had covid before that we had something else ours mortgage crisis whatever and uh, it's been such a difficult industry because difficult to raise capital and they had to just fall back on government anyone sitting on top of the board would say hey look where do we get the money from you know so uh, coming back to your question what is my um, feeling well, first is of course i agree with that second is i think because others are not flying it's also a problem it's like the world was full of airlines, like 200 airlines or two, 300 airlines. And suddenly you just have 150 and that too, somehow just struggling to fly to 30% of their routes. That's a very difficult world for even consumers. Yeah, I think there are very few happy employees in the airline right now. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. Thank you, Jules. Thanks for joining in. Speaking of the government's holding, that was actually another story on my list, which was about the fact that I saw the story was brought to us by Khan from Turkish Airlines talking about Lufthansa um, and the German government selling its stake that they acquired through the bailout. And so now they're back in uh, private hands. I I think those two stories combined paints for a very positive outlook for for Lufthansa in the future, and that is welcome. Relating to that, and, and again, staying with Lutanza, they were very much in the news this week and in a few posts that I know Anna and myself engaged in quite a lot. And this was about the news that they signed this new deal of Amadeus to provide NDC content as soon as the end of quarter four, 2022. The story was brought to us by Felix Daniger. He said he talked about the various commercial models that, that will come with that. And there was a lot of detail about that. So a, a very welcome amount of detail around that uh, later in the week. And uh, there was lots of discussions about this. I, I know I've got a few things to say about this, Anne, but so do you. Do you want to give us your initial thoughts on that one, Anne? My initial comment was that this really makes my head hurt. It's just it's getting so complicated. I don't get some of it. What is the way forward with having so many different NDC concepts? But then again, I've never really quite understood the, you know, there's so many question marks for the um, GDSs to become aggregators. Will they become real aggregators? 
or will they solely aggregate those airlines that actually are surcharging in the GDS? Apart from that complexity that Lufthansa came up with, that pricing model, which really to me looks like they were thinking, how do they get a square peg down a mm. hole? And they invented a triangle hole for that. So it's, it's a mess, that one. But I, I, to answer, it's a very good question you asked there, you know, which airlines mm. would the GDSs, you know, put first, you know, and only those ones who add the search out, et cetera. I think, you know, the answer here lies in, in how innovative they want to be or can be. And, ex and, and it comes right back to what's the functionality? Mm -hmm. The extra yes. functionality we can achieve with NDC yes. that the airline wants to achieve, you know, that will benefit the consumer. That that should be driving it. But unfortunately, as we both are very well aware of it, it's a commercial drive that's driving yes. that. So that's quite unfortunate. And I mean, NDC X has been, I mean, nowadays this NDC X has been around since I believe 2017. That is five years now somebody you know it's sort of we get that the numbers um sometimes they talk about 10 airlines or they talk about partial content and then somebody says 20 airlines but i mean it's a very long time regardless whether it's 10 airlines or 20 airlines with partial content i, I believe the only one with all the functionality is with showies uh, the principle that there's access to Lufthansa content available in the GDS that consumes an NDC, you know, API, et cetera, that's great. I mean, I think that's fantastic. Yes. And yeah. you know, that, that, that should be actually, you know, very focused on. But there were, there were so many, I don't want to say incorrect statements, but there were quite a lot of comments in that post, which um, mm -hmm. raised a few eyebrows for me. And I, I'm thinking, you know, we should be congratulating Amadeus and Travelport and Sabre for taking on APIs and, and putting that content in front of the agent. Oh, yes. And, yes. That's, that's where we want to go i mean we want apis directly working with the pss systems yep. i mean that we know is the ultimate functionality that will work really well ash any of this news hits across that side of the pond did you did you read about this did it come up i've been saying for a couple of years now Rian, that this is all about money, right? I think I might have been one of the first people to say it, and I was laughed at at some points by different people because everybody believed in the idea of NDC. At the end of the day, when I talk to any airline executive off the record, I talk to any GDS executive off the record, it always points towards the financials. And the whole financial model is broken. The system is completely needs to be reverse engineered. What should happen is that the TMC should pay the GDSs a subscription fee, Many TMCs are receiving money, so it's a backwards flow, and the GDSs should pay the airlines for content. And if that model flow happens, NDC goes away. All this stuff goes away. It's not NDC. It's ODC, as I always say now. The whole model is broken. You, you convinced me about that one, right? I, I do agree with you on that model. Yeah. I think it, it needs to happen. I mean, it is the model okay. that the aggregators are applying to the agents, and it can work, absolutely. Definitely is about the financials, for sure. You've convinced me on that one, Ash. Yeah, the airlines themselves are not able to provide, like when they talk about NDC, they're not able to provide all the content. They still need ATP code. They still need route happy. They still need this. They still need that. So at the end of the day, you have a hodgepodge of different uh, tech companies that somebody at a TMC has got to think about how to bring it all together. And TMCs are not equipped. I mean, maybe the top five guys might be equipped to do that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, a simple TMC, even in post-pandemic climate, definitely is not equipped to manage a NDC flow with yeah. their customers. So just need to go back to the base clean it up, simplify. Yep. And I think the simplest way is to change the financial flow. And that's what the airlines want anyway. They want to be paid for their content. 
Before we go on, I just want to say hi to some familiar faces in the audience there. Miguel, nice to see you again. Um, it's nice to see Helene join us because normally I see her on Clubhouse, right? And so it's nice for Helene to be joining us here. And I see Alex in the audience there. Harold, thank you very much for joining us and a few others that I recognize. So thank you guys for joining us. George, what are your thoughts on the uh, Amadeus uh, NDC story with Lufthansa? See, all these stories are connected. I'm going to say something very drastic. You remember Jack Welch of GE? The neutron bomb effect means you clean up all the airline systems. And Ash referred to the hotspots in all these airlines. By and large, most airlines are backward, except a few. So if you clean up everything, then all these terms just go away. Just have a customer directly accessing the PSS, booking and flying. Even if an agent comes in between, it's a value-added intermediary and not an intermediary which is causing trouble in the ecosystem. So this industry needs some kind of a neutron bomb is what I feel because all these things will keep on coming till the whole business model of the aviation industry changes for the good because you can't have aviation, which is the prime mover, always lose money and the travel agency always make money. It can't be like this. It's the only industry in the world where this happens. I love the neutron bomb idea, Rian. That's, <laughs> I knew, that's I knew a good one. Like I'm going to use it in the future. I agree. A change is definitely necessary. Whether it needs to be as big as a as a bomb, I'm not sure. But um, it definitely relates to a, a change that is needed, especially in the financial model, for sure. I mean, there are those in the in the TMC space who are making progress, right? We There was an excellent article in Company Dime that I was cracking up at on NDC and Dominus Babiscum um, and actually saying, like we talked about, the uh, Kim um, from Visa that we've just discussed before becomes the high priestess that NDC has needed. Uh, that's what's stated in the article. And uh, I mean, Spotnara is also making um, some headwinds here and, and changing, but I agree that there is... There needs to be change, and especially in who makes money. The national holiday chain here called Center Parks. But I, I, I want to add their story to my list because it was very interesting how companies can get it so wrong with regards to their PR, etc. Center Parks is a is a holiday type resort where families go can live, you know, in a bit of an adventurous type environment. They made the unfortunate decision to say to people they have to leave the park on Monday today because of the, the funeral of the Queen so that their staff could uh, obviously watch that or attend it if, or, you know, or, or monitor that if they wanted to. And of course, the PR backlash on that was immense because of course, there were families who traveled, uh, you know, quite far or came with children or who would uh, be disrupted and didn't know where to go. And they simply said they'd be happy to stay in the park, even if the facilities are closed. And of course, they had to, to reverse that decision. But it, I think it cost them quite a lot in, uh, in a PR field. So I don't know whether that actually made any news anywhere else. I don't know, Anne, if you saw that or whether that came up. I did actually see it. And, and of course, it was a PR fiasco. So, yeah, I mean, just terrible decision. And especially, I mean, you can't advise people with such short notice. No. And that's it's not possible. No, I know. <laughs> I think the bigger lesson what I took out of this, which was interesting, um, is as companies with you know, some some of the PR advice that were given is that you have to recognize that not everybody in your company, for instance, may believe in this or may be a supporter of what's happening, etc. So you have to take that into account as well, uh, which is a good point. Um, but yeah, that was just a massive um, PR fiasco from their side. Ash, I suppose none of this came to that side of the pond, right? 
They feel like if people are doing something else other than uh, focusing on the funeral, that it's disrespectful for the queen. Something like that, yes. The way they described it is they wanted to give their staff the ability to uh, pay their respects as well and to not work on this day. But as many people pointed out, they could simply close most of the facilities as long as the accommodation stayed open. We were, were happy to stay. And that's exactly what happened. So most of the restaurants, etc., like the rest of the UK, restaurants and uh, shops are closed today. But of course, people can, can go about their business as usual. So that's what they ended up doing in the end. It's one day, right? That's correct, yes. But what what they expected people to do was to leave the park and then come back the next day. And, of course, people who traveled from far and came for a week had nowhere to go. Eventually, they allowed them to stay, you know, on the resorts. So um, I just thought a very interesting story and how you can get it so wrong. I posted about Tap Air Portugal that's going back up for sale. I've been following their recently, I say recent, but it's probably been about a year now or more, appointed CEO Christine. I've been watching, you know, what she's doing and trying to get some change happening there, but I haven't seen any of that change um, actually happening there. Tap Air Portugal, heavily government type airline. I've had some personal rather bad experiences with them. I'm sure many people in the audience have had nice airline, nice looking airline, etc. But when something goes wrong there, it goes wrong really big. So they're up for sale. Portuguese government wants to get rid of that. I saw that post by Jorge from uh, Air Gateway. I think good news, I suspect. And they're quite likely to just be eaten up by some of the other European airlines, do you think? I would think so. I've said this many times that I think that we've got too many airlines in Europe. I think the pandemic hit really hard. On top, what I keep hearing from friends in Portugal is that it's one of those airlines where the taxpayers have been subsidizing this airline for a very, very, very long time. And people are starting to question, shouldn't that money go towards hospitals and motorways and infrastructure, etc., rather than this very, very unprofitable airline? I think they need to be acquired. I'm sure they will. I mean, they've got a good route network, especially strong links to uh, Latin America, those kind of places. Um, Ash, do you think any likely U.S. buyers... Well, they're part of the Star Alliance, right? So somebody that's in the Star world, maybe United, Emirates, right? They seem to have money. I suggest that they get into the game before KLM Air France gets into the game again and takes away another airline from Star. It's definitely a Star Alliance move that needs to be made, and I think they should do it. Governments have to stop getting involved in airline travel business. They just do such a bad job overall in anything that they touch. The idea that any government entity owns an airline should just become yesterday's news, and every one of them should get out of that business completely. I wholeheartedly agree, uh, Ash. I think that's absolutely right. And um, let me just say, you haven't experienced red tape and bureaucracy until you've tried to get uh, to deal with TAP Air Portugal on a disruption. It's quite a mess out there. Whether whether that kind of change will happen with uh, a KLM Air France acquisition is 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 hard to imagine, right, Anne? But um, yeah, I do agree. It, it needs to change. I do agree as well that you know it's it's obviously not a healthy relationship of having governments owning uh, airlines and and being subsidised by the taxpayers. But again, I mean you have to think through the protection of your infrastructure, especially for countries where you where you do rely on 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 air transportation. So there has to be certain aspects that you have to consider. But I wholeheartedly agree. I mean yeah. it's it's just not. There's just no progress. They they just seem to to stagnate and like we had horrendous examples of of as you know Alitalia and um, Sabina back in the day and uh, not very profitable airlines sadly. I just love how you brought up Sabina two weeks in a row. That's really cool. <laughs> Sabina, I can't believe it. Were you saying Sabina here? 
Well, we have to we have to remember these. Did you, um, did you ever get to fly Sabina Ash or not? No, never. But I did book a lot of travel on Sabina when I was yes. an agent, so that That's counts right. for something. By the way, um, you know, to what you were saying earlier, and yeah, I think that a lot of times governments hold on to these airline institutions because it's a matter of national pride. Exactly. Right? Um, yeah. It's Air Portugal, right? It's mm-hmm. it's Alitalia. It's your country's extension into the world. And, and so mm-hmm. how do you let that go, right? So it's kind of hard, I think. As long as they keep yeah. the Air Portugal name in place, I think that's the only thing they care about. My final story on my list last week was about um, finally some action happening with these airports where there's, you know, continuous long lines and flight cancellations at Schiphol. Um, so the airport CEO stepped down, you know, as a result of those uh, issues there at the airport. And that post was actually brought by Nick Corrine from Yarta, which was an interesting uh, post about it. I mean, obviously, you know, always sorry to see someone having to step out of a job, but they really did mess up there. And um, I think many people would, would applaud that move. Hopefully things will improve because, again, I saw this week stories of, of lines queuing around the block um, at Schiphol Airport. And so um, change there is definitely needed. Right, Anne? Absolutely. I'm still flabbergasted at why are they still, after all, you know, all this time, still lines around the block. I mean, why can't they fix Amsterdam? It's it's inexplicable. I, I just don't get it. They should have a nightclub bouncer run the line. <laughs> they they know how to move lines really, really well. This guy who's the president and CEO of the airport, Ben Shop is his name. Before becoming the president of the airport, he worked at Shell. Okay. All right. So he was at Shell for like eight years. Then somehow he gets his job. I mean, obviously, Shell is providing gas to the airplanes at the airport, and he must have gotten a link connection there. And now he's running an airport. Like, he's got no prior experience in the travel industry. Now, I'm glad you did your homework on that because I didn't know that, Ash. But that is, uh, (laughs) yes, it explains a lot, right? Doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I bet you my bouncer friends at the nightclubs in New York City can run the lines at the I airport pretty am, well. Sure, because so. like Anne says, what's the problem there? I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it, it can't be that difficult to fix that issue. So it is it is bizarre. Well, recently they announced that they're going to keep the numbers down, right? Yes. Did you see that? Uh, right. Like 20% or something. That's right. They're going to keep <sighs> the options of passengers down for the next month until end of October. Surreal. Yeah. I, I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. Yes. Well, look at the resume. You'll find the answer. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so now, now, now we know. Thank you for that, Thank you for that summary. It does explain a lot. <laughs> we, we know now, Anne, that Ash has checked out our resumes before we, we made the show. Right? So, <laughs> there we go. I think that's a wrap for all our stories this week. My thanks to you both for uh, for sitting in today. For those in the audience, again, thank you very much. Um, like I said, we do record this. This does turn into a podcast. Ash will tell us about that in a second. From my side, I just want to say thank you to both Anne and Ash and for those joining. And we'll see you next week. Right, Anne? Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening and joining. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Mondays, and it's all about linking the travel industry. Please share it with everybody that you know. Chances are high that if you enjoyed today's session, that your friends and others that you know will also enjoy it. So please do tell them about it. And for anyone who cannot make it because of time zone or availability, we do provide this session as a podcast on Business Travel 360. You can access all of that information on the website. This is Linking the Travel Industry signing off. <music>